since my father was the pastor and we lived in the parsonage, my mom became the church hostess. It was just part of the job. She took care and opened the home for evangelists, teachers, missionaries, musicians. Often they were passing through. They would stay long enough to minister to our church, and then they would move on. But in the opportunity we had with them while they were ministering, they needed a place to stay, and the parsonage seemed to be the right place. I remember a lot of the little quirks that came with these people. I remember one of them who uh, asked for, I don't think it was a demand, but asked for green bananas for breakfast. I remember another who made fun of my father at breakfast because of all the noise he made with his spoon against the bowl trying to make sure he got everything out. And I remember thinking, I never noticed that, but it took someone from outside and I never forgot and always noticed my dad's noisy cereal bowl. I remember one who polished his shoes, happened to be brown shoes, wanted black shoe polish. And I followed that. I mimicked that as a, as a young kid. I said, what a cool idea. Just be against the grain. Take your brown shoes and put black shoe polish on them. I remember another who carried a sheet of plywood up the stairs to the guest bedroom so that the bed would be firm enough for his sore back. He must have realized a lot of beds he was taking advantage of in these hospitality situations just weren't firm enough for him. Well, Deborah and I have never lived in the parsonage, but we've had opportunity to host people who've come through in their ministry. remember a couple back in the 80s who stayed with us back in Wheaton, and uh, they came from South Africa. And if you can picture South Africa in the 80s, they gave us a first-hand account of some of the racial tensions, challenges about their future, how the church was responding, how Christians were confused about it. It's pretty fascinating just to get that glimpse of a whole another world besides just from the newspapers. In the 90s in Naperville, Deborah and I hosted the Covenant Missionaries, the Duttons from Southeast Asia. They stayed in our home a couple nights. Woke up one morning with our little daughter, Marissa, climbing into bed with them, making them feel right at home. Marissa never knew a stranger, and uh, that's part of hospitality. You see, I, I think today, my guess, I don't know what we'll do with the next missionary that comes in town. I think our tendency is to put them in a hotel. And when we do this, we miss out on this opportunity to get better acquainted, to see one another's quirks and quirkiness, um, but also to share in, in the ministry, to have a more intimate involvement with what's going on in these people's lives. It's that kind of hospitality that the third letter of John is focused on. John expects it of the people. Gaius, the Gaius delivers that hospitality. Diotrephes refuses that hospitality. Demetrius needs that hospitality. So what I want to do is kind of work through this short letter uh, 
briefly with you, introduce you to these four characters, and uh, then we'll get to the main point of the letter. First of all, the elder. John isn't named, but I believe the elder is the John who comes attached to the name of this letter. John, the close, intimate disciple of Jesus, the early church leader, Tradition locates him in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, has him there not only bringing people to faith in Christ, but establishing churches, nurturing those churches, living to a ripe old age right there in Asia Minor. He is the writer of this letter. The recipient is Gaius. Gaius is described four times as beloved, so there's something close and intimate. These two knew each other well. Uh, the NIV says, dear friend. It's that kind of relationship. In verse 2, it's fascinating that John prays that Gaius would be as healthy physically as he is spiritually. And it's a reminder that these two often don't go hand in hand. There's there's often a separation, yet we almost are bothered by that. But you can be spiritually healthy and physically sick. You know that. I know that. And in the same way, you can be very physically healthy and be spiritually sick. And John prays that Gaius is both healthy in both areas of his life. In verses 3 and 4, he gets to a report that John has received word from friends who've come back that uh, Gaius is really doing things well. He's faithful to the truth. He's walking in the truth. And that brings John a deep, deep joy. Along with, with John, I think many of us, and I heard some agreement, some amens from you when in verse 4 he says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth whether they're biological children or spiritual children, biological grandchildren or spiritual grandchildren, there's nothing quite like seeing the young come to faith and live that faith out, walk in it. This last Sunday, good to have Jim reading scripture, but this last Sunday both he and I were up at Lake Geneva at Covenant Harbor and uh, three Brorson children and three Allen grandchildren were baptized up there. And let me tell you, it brought me and I think all of us in attendance a deep joy to see these young people, first of all, confess their faith verbally, out loud, confess their faith in Christ, to go completely into those holy waters of baptism and to come out all wet from Lake Geneva off the pier there. And then to really allow us to pray for them, for their spiritual health going forward the rest of their lives. There's something very deep and satisfying about that experience. And as a, a grandpa, as a dad to Jim and all the others there, it was pretty exciting. Deep joy. Well, in verses 5 through 8, John gets to a little different issue. He gets a little more specific. In what way is Gaius walking in the truth. Well, he's doing it by being very open to the friends who are traveling. He let them come in, even though they were strangers to him. And they've come back and told John about 
his love and warmth and hospitality. And John says, you'd be, you'd be really good to keep that going. I'm just letting you know, keep it up. That's good. And then he describes some of the dynamics. They weren't just out touring the Middle East and the Mediterranean. They were doing this travel for the sake of Christ. And they weren't getting supported by anybody else. No non-believers were, were supporting them. And so the church needed to stand behind them. And so we ought to support these people. And whenever we do that, whether we're giving them a meal or a place to stay or just safety, encouragement, financial support, whatever it might be, we're co-workers with them, John says. We become co-workers with the church, partners in the ministry. I think this is still true today when we have an opportunity to support those in Christian service, whether it's afar, cross-cultural, or even more locally. I think of people like uh, Young Life staffers or even Grace and Peace chaplains who go out, and we don't expect the institution to pay for them. We don't expect the recipients to pay for them, but somehow we need to stand behind them as a Christian community and send them out so that they don't have to worry about their provision, not only for ministry, but for life, and also so that they don't have to charge for the gospel. The good news is free, and, and part of the church's effort is to let's offer that freely. There's no price tag, so we need to stand behind them and support them. And whenever we do that, we become these co-workers in the truth. Great opportunity for us. So Gaius shines as someone who's doing it right. Then we turn in verse 9 to someone who's not doing it right, Diotrephes. His first dis description here is, who likes to put himself first. That's really all you have to say. And that's never good, and especially in the church. A person who likes to put himself, herself first is going to cause more problems than we can deal with. And it spins off from there that Diotrephes doesn't acknowledge John's authority. He's spreading false charges against John. He won't welcome the friends who John sends. And he even prevents those who want to welcome them from doing so and expels them from the church. It's just a, a series of things that comes out of the fact that he likes to put himself first. Putting yourself first is one of the easiest ways to shut down hospitality. It won't happen if it's all about you and me. Somehow I think Diotrephes didn't learn a lesson that, that I learned very early on, and that was to take the word joy and see it as a priority. J for Jesus first, O for others next, Y yourself last. Jesus others, yourself. Um, I was taught that as the way to live into the love commands, to love the Lord your God with your whole being, your neighbors your, as yourself. Yourself comes last, God first. Somehow Diotrephes missed that lesson. And sometimes we need to realize that's, that's going to shut down hospitality fast. There's one other person I want you to meet. In verse 12, it's Demetrius. We don't know a whole lot about him. I believe he is the deliverer of this letter. He's the carrier. 
the postman, and he brings this letter uh, from John to Gaius. And Demetrius comes with three favorable reviews. One is from everyone, the church there with John, but also the truth itself, the Christian faith approves of this man. And then finally, John himself. And so Demetrius comes on the scene to Gaius with all this approval. And I believe what John is saying is that this person is worthy of your hospitality. He's one who's traveling for the sake of Christ. He's helping me do my work, so treat him well. Open your home, open your heart, open your, your pantry to Demetrius. Well, those are the people. Maybe you've gotten a little idea of the, of the plot. We get a window into the early church. John the Apostle was interested in encouraging these churches. Um, any church he influenced, he tried to stay in touch with. How? With letters. This is before phones and emails. He had to write off a letter, and there wasn't a postman. He had to send them, send that letter with somebody. And those people would arrive with the letter to that church to encourage the church and to stay for a while to bring maybe some new teaching, helpful teaching, and then report back to John how things were going. That was the way the church communicated, and, and the apostles strengthened these young churches was through that kind of letter writing and visits. Well, in this particular case, I believe a letter arrived. John speaks of it in verse 9. A letter arrived, and Demetrius took it, and I imagine he just ripped it up just took it, ripped it, because we don't have that letter today. This would be John 4 if we did. But he just ripped it up and refused to give hospitality to the friends who brought it. They went down the street, and Gaius opened his home, even putting his own relationship with the church at risk, because now Demetrius, or Diotrephes, wants to kick him out. And so we have this, this tension, this conflict in the early church all around the issue of hospitality and the authority of John. That's what I believe is, is going on. So John sits down, writes this letter, gives it to Demetrius. Demetrius takes it directly to Gaius to let him know that he's doing all right, keep it up, and uh, John's coming soon, and he'll take care of the rest of the problem. That's the setting. That's the plot. But now what's the point? I hope you're still with me enough to realize this is all about being hospitable. It's about welcoming the strangers who are traveling for the sake of Christ. It's a matter of taking those who are traveling teachers of the truth and making them feel at home. This is not something new. When Jesus first sent John, the disciple, out along with the other apostles, when he first sent them out, he didn't send them with much. But he expected that some people would welcome them and take care of them and support them. That's why they didn't need to carry a lot of money and a lot of changes of clothes, a big suitcase. They could go light because God's people, the right people, would support them. Jesus expected that. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the early church, he, he said among the other one another commands, be hospitable to one another. And he especially held church leaders to that and official widows to that. He said, you need to be hospitable. Peter jumps in and says, yes, be hospitable to one another. And then he adds this phrase, 
without complaining. Just a little reminder, it's not just the action, it's, it's the attitude. Interesting, the author of Hebrews talks about hospitality and says, when some have been doing it, they were entertaining angels without even knowing it. And of course, that's a reference, if you know the story of Abraham and want to rehearse that, that's exactly what happens. Sometimes we're being hospitable to angels and didn't even realize it. Here's a more shocking thing. Sometimes we're being hospitable to Jesus and don't even know it. He himself told a story to his disciples about a future day when he would judge between the sheep and the goats. And when he turns to those righteous on his right, he says, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And those on his right said, when, when did we welcome you? When were you a stranger? And I think you know his response. He said, when you, when you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters, part of my family, these friends, same words that John used, when you do it to the least of these friends, you were doing it to me. See, friends, hospitality is nothing new with Third John. It's part of the whole New Testament record. And I wonder, what's happened to the gift, the art, the joy, the uncomplaining attitude of this kind of hospitality? When I observe my own life and the church today, I think, you know, we're, we're a lot quicker to want to meet at the church than in one another's homes. We're a lot quicker to meet at a restaurant than in one another's kitchens and dining rooms. What is that? I wonder, are we confusing entertainment with hospitality? Hospitality is just opening your door and letting people come into your normal life, not putting on a big show. Maybe that. Are we more concerned that we have so little or maybe that we have too much? And we don't want that kind of judgment either way. So we meet at a restaurant or we meet at the church. I just wonder, what is it that keeps us from being all the more hospitable? I believe the New Testament is challenging us still to be hospitable, not just to people who are traveling for the sake of ministry, but to all people. And so I think if we have just a minute so I'd like to hear from you some of the possible ways that we, maybe you have, maybe you've seen it, maybe you'd like to, uh, to be hospitable. And I'll just tag on to my wife's prayer earlier. Um, our daughter Leah and Ben, with their children, have opened their home in what's called Safe Families. It's a ministry to help give respite to a family that very likely could fall apart and the kids would go into the uh, become wards of the state unless someone steps in, gives them a break to accomplish something. And so the kids are placed temporarily in this safe family home. It's a way of opening your home. What happens in Leah's home is the kids bunk together to provide a bedroom. Uh, there's not even a spare room waiting for that child. They, they collapse into one room so there's room for that child. So I just want to say there's one way to use our home for the sake of Christ and ministry. Are there some others you'd like to suggest? Just to kind of push the buttons and get us thinking positively about this.
everybody. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, good. That's great. Other examples of things we might do to just be a bit more hospitable for the sake of Christ. Okay. Yeah. When you're on vacation, maybe someone could use that space to open your poem. Maybe there's just a space at the table or a room. I think sometimes it's a second home, depending on where we're at. I saw two hands and then this guy. Feast groups. Yeah. Yeah. Feast groups. Is there another? Friday night. Yeah. You sh if you didn't hear it, if you didn't hear at the back, you should have seen Deborah on Friday night. Without any preparation, we were told we, we weren't going to be providing them a meal. They were hungry, and Deborah just started pulling stuff out of the refrigerator, just leftovers. And I found this, and this came out, and it's all lined up. And by golly, they ate it all. Hey, let's let's pray. God, thank you for the chance we have to open our homes, our hearts, our lives to others, sometimes even strangers, and to do it for the sake of Christ, without complaining, just sensing an opportunity to minister even to those sometimes who are ministering to others. So would you help us in our different situations to be open to you and open to others and to not put ourselves first. This I pray in Christ's name.